You are listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast, and this is our review of The Founder. I know what you're thinking. How the heck does a 52-year-old, over-the-hill, milkshake machine salesman build a fast food empire with 1,600 restaurants and an annual revenue of $700 million? One word. Persistence. Prince Castle Sales. Hi, Jim. How's it going down there? Good. Swell. A lot of interest. We got an order. Six mixers. To anyone in particular? McDonald's. Care for a little tour? We wanted something different. And that's when my brother here comes up with one of his brilliant ideas. Order's ready in 30 seconds, not 30 minutes. Unique, original, there's nothing like this. Revolutionary. That's exactly what it is, it's revolutionary. What is that? The Golden Arches. It's a way to make the place stand out. Huh. There should be McDonald's everywhere. Franchise the damn thing. Mr. Croc. Franchise. 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 McDonald's can be the new American church. It ain't just open on Sundays, boys. All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for The Founder, the story of which is as follows. This is the true story of how Raymond Kroc, played by Michael Keane, a struggling salesman from Illinois, met Mac, played by John Carroll Lynch, and Dick McDonald, played by Nick Offerman, who were running a burger operation in 1950s Southern California. Kroc was impressed by the brothers' speedy system of making the food and saw franchise potential. Kroc soon maneuvers himself into a position to be able to pull the company from the brothers and create a multi-billion dollar empire. The film is starring Michael Keaton, Nick Offerman, John Carroll Lynch, Linda Cardellini, Patrick Wilson, B.J. Novak, and Laura Dern. It is directed by John Lee Hancock and written by Robert D. Siegel. Joining me for this review, I have a guest from the awardsconnection.com, Andrew Carden. Andrew, how are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? Uh, I am a little sick right now, coming off of mm-hmm. a, a, a cold. So other than that... Um, I'm doing pretty okay. Uh, the question I have on my mind right now is, did you, before, during, or after, eat McDonald's when you watched this movie? I did. Um, I had been planning on it all along, and I haven't had McDonald's in quite a while, um, I think upwards of a year now, so I was admittedly a little excited to have it, and afterwards, uh, we did go out, and I had a Big Mac, and it was surprisingly not that bad. Yeah, that's how they get you, right? They yes. got, they'd say, oh, this food is fantastic. Let me have more and more. <laughs> Next thing you know, you're eating it every day. Yeah, <laughs> now, I must say the service was not quite as friendly as it is portrayed in uh, the founder circa 1954, but the food wasn't too terrible. Yeah, I hear you on that. <laughs> it's definitely not what it used to be, that's for sure. Yes. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about that. Um, what were your thoughts, ultimately, on The Founder overall? So, I I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, is it among my favorite films of 2016? No. Um, is it probably among the best Michael Keaton performances I've seen? Yeah, probably. And that's still pretty high praise. Um, you know, John Lee Hancock is not a director I have a ton of admiration for, but he is working with uh, a decent screenplay here by Robert Siegel, who of course did The Wrestler about uh, a decade back, and it has three excellent performances in it. 
And I think for the, even just the performances alone, the film is worth a look, even if, again, the direction isn't anything particularly stellar. All right. No, and I, I, I mostly agree with everything it is that you're saying here. Um, you talk about Michael Keaton, his performances. Where would you rank this among Birdman and Spotlight right now? Ooh. See, I'm not quite as fond of Birdman as most are. Um, it's just I, I did not feel that connection that so many did. Um, I actually thought that his work in Spotlight was quite underrated. Um, I thought he should have been the Oscar nominee that year, or last year, of course. Um, I thought that was a really nuanced, subtle, really well-crafted turn. Um, and I, I don't, I'm not sure I would call his work in The Founder quite on par with that, but uh, it's still a pretty damn good commanding performance. Um, and it's certainly, you know, right up there with past Michael Keaton performances like Clean and Sober. Um, trying to think what else. Um, even something like Beetlejuice, you know, it's just a memorable performance. And it's pretty convincing, even though there are always those Michael Keaton mannerisms that always come through. And it seems like all of his performances except for Spotlight, where I thought he really reins it in nicely. Yeah, no, I understand completely what you're saying in regards to that. Um, my biggest qualm here is Ray Kroc is portrayed to be a lot like Mark Zuckerberg in The Social Network, Daniel Plainview in There Will Be Blood. And yet, for some reason or another, I am drawn more to those two characters than I am to Raymond Kroc. And I was struggling to understand like why that was when I was um, uh, post-screening, essentially. And it finally dawned on me that the reason why I couldn't connect so much with this character in this film is that he, he truly has no moments of humanity, in my opinion. Um, you could turn to little moments here and there and maybe point them out to me, but I, I don't think that he ever gets a moment to show that he has anything on his mind other than progress, progress, success, success, dollars and dollars. Right. Now, I, I know that some people are probably thinking, well, Daniel Plainview is a monster. And I'm like, yeah, he, he was. But they have those scenes and There Will Be Blood where you could see that he d does care for his son uh, at times. And the moments when, like, he gets drunk with um, his, his brother or, you know, have whatever the case was with that. It's a whole scenario in that film. And you know, you, there's just layers to that character. I, I found Raymond Kroc to not be so much of a three-dimensional character with many layers to him. I found him to be actually quite bland for the most part. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I was—I had seen this, I think it was a CNBC documentary on McDonald's, which of course went, delved so much into Ray Kroc and barely into the McDonald brothers. And he came off as this incredibly flamboyant character, um, colorful, um, quite similar to their scenes in this film where Michael Keaton goes to speak to various groups, almost like a televangelist figure almost, as he's trying to convince folks to get on board with him. And that was what I thought most rang true based on what I had seen of Ray Kroc in documentaries in the past, this very colorful, flamboyant character. Um, but I would agree, he's definitely much more a head-over-heart kind of guy, um, willing to, you know, dump friends, um, close partners. Um, but, you know, I mean, 
And he's certainly, you know, a very aggressive figure. And he had no qualms about squashing people when he needed to advance his own cause. Um, but I, I, I don't think I found him particularly dull just because Michael Keaton gives such um, an energetic, um, colorful performance. Um, but, I, you know, I would agree, you know, um, he's not a man with a whole lot of soul. You know, he has his mind squarely focused on his own success, the money. Um, and, you know, there are moments where, you know, he certainly pays a lot of attention and care to what's going on inside McDonald's. You're making sure the burgers are right, making sure the number of pickles. But at the end of the day, he doesn't really care about that. He just cares about that being able to fill his pockets. So, but I would agree, you know, um, he's not, you know, uh, a super three-dimensional character. But I still think it's a very entertaining and engaging performance. Now, what did you think about the brothers, uh, Nick Offerman, John Carroll Lynch? Because where Raymond Kroc's character lacked heart and humanity, I, I mean, I, I, I suppose that's where we're supposed to find that is with those two brothers in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I personally thought that John Carroll Lynch especially did a great job of um, showing, uh, I mean, getting us to show pity towards him and a lot of sympathy where Nick Offerman's character, uh, you know, is more wise and uh, up to the know in in terms of what Raymond Kroc is doing, but uh, is willing also to work alongside his brother as a team, Mm -hmm. something that Raymond Kroc doesn't really know how to do because he's so single-minded. And, because of his naivety, um, it ultimately ends up bringing both the brothers down, essentially. So what did you think of Nick Offerman and John Carroll Lynch? Oh, I thought they were great. And I mean, I think the best scenes in this film are absolutely the scenes with the three of them, um, just because these are three wonderful actors. And Nick Offerman, you know, I mean, it's, of course, hilarious on Parks and Rec, but hasn't been much utilized elsewhere. Um, this is a big, I think, breakthrough for him on the big screen, um, and it's a completely convincing, uh, great performance. And again, you know, those two guys, you know, have a lot of heart, and they cared so much about their baby. Um, and they certainly had some fire in the belly, but they weren't willing to go to the lengths that somebody like Ray Kroc was willing to. They didn't. They weren't going to ever squash their competition. Um, you know, they didn't get any pleasure out of that. Um, and they're certainly much more sympathetic characters, but they lacked, I think, I suppose the aggression and just the ruthlessness of what it took to get McDonald's to the position that it is today. Yeah. That's the interesting part about this is that you can look at it from a standpoint of, well, what these two brothers had was a good thing. It worked for them and they were happy. You know, they didn't need this, you know what I mean? This whole wide expansion um, and once it started happening, it's one of those things where I understand, uh, you know, not being able to compromise because it's not true to your vision of how you see the company. And that's, that's ultimately how, uh, as Keaton says, hearts are broken, essentially. Um, there's a lot of compromise that has to happen along the way, all in the name of progress. Yeah. And so... I found it all very, very interesting to try and like pinpoint exactly would this have been successful on its own, essentially, without this whole wide franchise expansion. The answer is probably for those two brothers, yes. But Raymond Kroc definitely saw the bigger picture in that he knew that 
if he could bring what transfixed him so much and obviously transfixed everybody that came to that small little burger joint over there in California, he knew that he could get it uh, spread out amongst the entire world. Yeah, I think that the film does a very good job of really getting you into the mind of Raymond Kroc and what it is he's exactly trying to do. I'm not so sure if by devoting so much time to him and then a little bit less time, but still significant to the brothers, if all the other supporting players in this movie really got their due, I feel like people like Patrick Wilson, Linda uh, Cardellini, PJ um, Novak, even Laura Dern, I feel like are kind of wasted in this movie. Yeah, that's my big qualm with the founder is that the rest of the cast is completely underutilized. So I think that, you know, Patrick Wilson is a phenomenal actor, and we, we've seen him give great performances, among other things, in Fargo, and he's pretty much just window dressing in this movie. Um, the rest of the supporting cast is, as well. Laura Dern just looks kind of bored here, um, as if she knows she has this sort of um, thankless role, and, you know, that, that could have been an Oscar role, you know, the long-suffering wife. But instead, she's just kind of wallpaper in this. You know, I think Robert Siegel spent significantly more time and energy on the three central characters, which is fine. Um, but you bring all these fantastic actors in and give them hardly anything to do. I mean, that, that's a problem. And yeah, I mean, it's just a kind of a waste of what could have been a really dynamite cast. Because, you know, these actors are certainly capable of giving excellent performances yeah i feel like the balance was definitely off at times while watching this um and i like all these actors as well and they all have their key important moments to the central narrative but i realistically don't see to your point why we had to have um such names involved i I think if we had uh lesser names my ex- my expectations would not have been so crushed, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. um, because when you see a lot of names like this sign on and there are also a lot of uh, recognizable people, you-, you want them to be, like I said, given their due. You want them to have juicier parts with meteor scenes to chew on. Right. Um, I think John Lee Hancock is an okay director. Uh, I'm personally not his biggest fan. I understand that this is definitely his most cynical film you know compared to something like the blind side or saving mr banks um but i don't think he gives this film a distinct visual look at all really it's very well i thought it had the look and feel of say mr banks at times and um him having i mean the secretary in this film reminded me so much of the secretary in say mr banks oh okay um you know, and I, the art direction reminded me of, I, I don't know if the production designer was the same on this as that film, but I do think at least these two pictures have a somewhat similar look. Um, but I would agree it's not exactly a, a gorgeously shot film, um, although I do love the image of him standing before the golden arches at night with the lights just glistening. Yeah. Um, otherwise, though, yeah, it's not, you know, a, a majestic looking picture. Um, had the Weinstein company put a real Oscar campaign behind this, I don't think it would have resonated anywhere beyond Michael Keaton. Um, but yeah, I mean, I for months had Laura Dern on my best supporting actress shortlist just cause I figured, you know, the long suffering wife of, of a character portrayed by Michael Keaton, Ray Kroc, 
you know, seems like, you know, it'd be a heavy role, but she's just in the background and doesn't do a whole lot. No, she she's had uh, better roles than this 100% in most recent years. Um, you know, it's the one thing that really annoyed me about this movie a lot, and I can't believe I'm actually saying this, but Carter Burwell's score, I found, was not a good fit for this movie. Uh, what did you think about it? Yeah, it was... It was okay. I mean, we could do without the many shots of Michael Keaton just driving in the desert or whatnot with the Carter Burwell score in the background. Um, I think that this film actually could have probably been a little bit shorter, honestly. There were moments that I I felt could have been edited out. Um, But the the score, I mean, it wasn't remarkable. I didn't find it particularly distracting. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm also not someone who, with the exception of something like Jackie or Nocturnal Animals really is grabbed by an original score necessarily. I usually have to go back and, and listen to the score itself, honestly. Uh, yeah, as I'm usually pretty in tune with it and very captivated, um, but here I thought I found it to be obtrusive and just not not in perfect sync with the film's overall tone, I guess you could say. Yeah, I thought that his, I, I think he did the score to Hail Caesar earlier this year, if I'm not mistaken. He did. And I think that was a more notable score, even though I wasn't crazy about the film. Um, here, it's just kind of unremarkable. There's nothing particularly interesting or notable about it, I didn't feel. So other than Michael Keaton, would you say that there really isn't much of anything that's interesting in this film? Well, I think that um, you know Nick Offerman again, is great. John Carroll Lynch, it's great to see him with a a meaty role. Um, But again, you know, if the Weinstein company weren't so preoccupied with Lion and instead decided to put weight behind this, I don't think it would have resonated much beyond Michael Keaton. Um, I mean, the screenplay is quite good, too. Uh, But I feel like the founder is not the film folks want to see at this time. Um, I don't know if folks want to see a film about a ruthless businessman, given the current environment. And we saw the I've, I haven't seen the full weekend numbers, but I saw that this didn't do so well um, Friday um, at the box office. And that's not surprising. I don't think folks want to see this movie right now. Um, you know, I've, I've been very excited about it just because I've been fascinated by the Ray Kroc story. But I don't know if many others necessarily are. Um, so I, I, I'm not sure that this is a film that is going to send folks walking to the theaters, which is a shame because I think that there are three performances that are very much worthwhile to see. Which is interesting too, because this film has been marketed now, um, for almost a whole year, essentially, since the first trailer came out. I mean, it's been pretty wild how long, um, that first trailer, I think it's been like eight or nine months yes, or something like that. And so I think audiences also probably had this feeling of, oh, didn't that already come out? You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I saw reviews for this back in, I believe, the spring. I I forget where it screened, but it screened somewhere. And the notices coming out of it weren't super positive. So I figured that the Weinsteins might just, you know, bump it to like early this year. So I was honestly surprised that it got as positive reviews as it did. Yeah, I, I was as well. But I think a lot of that has to just simply do with Michael Keaton at the yes. end of the day here. Um, let's move over into final thoughts. A great out of 10. 
end any Oscar predictions for this film, which is very odd considering nominations are on Tuesday. And this technically speaking, even though I'm saying it's a 2017 film, this technically is a 2016 film because of its qualifying run in L.A. Uh, And and I think I think that was it. I think it had the bare minimum Mm -hmm. uh, needed to be able to qualify for this year. So anyway, let's take it away. Final thoughts. Great out of 10. Any Oscar potential. What do you got, Andrew? Sure. So I'd probably give it um, a seven or an eight out of 10. Again, you know, I was certainly entertained and engaged, and I loved the three performances, and I thought the screenplay was was quite good, but um, again, it's kind of a slave to its rather uninspiring director, and it underuses the rest of the cast. Um, but, you know, I think it's still worth worth looking for uh, for the three performances. Now, in terms of Oscar, I don't see this showing up on Tuesday anywhere. Um, I suppose there's an ever so slight chance that Michael Keaton could show up, I suppose, especially if the Oscars just don't go for Captain Fantastic or Hacksaw Ridge. But that would be uh, my jaw will still drop as as fine as he is in this film. I, I would be quite shocked if he does show up in a couple of days. Uh, as worthy as he is, and you're right, he is, I would be very, very shocked as well. I don't think this is going to make any Oscar buzz whatsoever. I think the timing was just painfully off for this film and that they should have released it earlier in the season to give him a shot. I thought possibly, at the very least... A Golden Globe nomination, something, right, right? right? The moment that he didn't get a Golden Globe nomination, I think his chances pretty much evaporated. This really should have probably gotten like an early fall release uh, before Lion, just to get it out there. I mean, I think that the studio really botched this, um, perhaps intentionally so, just because they wanted all their chips stacked on on Lion. But what we're seeing is, you know, films like this and arguably 20th century women that are just peaking too late in the game, I think. But here's the deal, though. Like, I don't care that it's not getting its chance to peak because, quite honestly, I I think the film is just fine. I I don't think it's worth um, getting this rally behind it personally. Yeah, no, I I wouldn't rally behind it besides Keaton and um, perhaps the supporting actors, but I I doubt that I would include any of them among my top five in, in either category. Um, I certainly wouldn't be opposed to it, um, but I will be stunned if Michael Keaton shows up, especially since he didn't for Spotlight, which was a superior performance and a Best Picture nominee slash winner. <laughs> right. Um, so with that said, for myself, I'm giving this film a 6 out of 10. I think that the three central performances, like you said, are worth uh, checking out. I think the story itself is interesting, even though John Lee Hancock does not, in my opinion, present the film in an interesting manner. So it's it's a mixed bag. Yeah. Um, I was originally going to give it a 5 out of 10, but I, I lean more towards 6 because of those performances. Uh, Keaton is quite good here. So even though it may not have connected with myself, um, there are a bunch of people out there that on love and it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had to. I had to. I had to do it. Yep. <laughs> All right, Andrew. With that said, 
Tell us all where we can find you on the internet. You can find me anytime at theawardsconnection.com. And I'm also a contributor to Gold Derby and uh, should hopefully have some stuff up there uh, again pretty soon. Excellent. Excellent. Where can they find you on Twitter? On Twitter, uh, at Awards Connect. And I am always on Twitter. Yes, you are. Love interacting <laughs> with you on there. Love your pieces on Gold Derby. Be sure to check out all of Andrew's work, everyone. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. And thank you to our dear listeners out there. You've been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Player FM. And we will see you all next time. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.